Black British mothers matter. Without us, there would be no we. By Baroness Doreen Lawrence. When George Floyd was murdered by a white police officer, the words that resonated across the world and were emblazoned on countless placards were, I cannot breathe. But these were not his only words. Tellingly, he also called out to his mother, who had died two years earlier, saying, Mama, followed by, Mama, I'm through. Mothers play a central and unique role in black communities across the world. That is why we were honoured when Baroness Doreen Lawrence of Clarendon agreed to contribute to the book. The mother of Stephen Lawrence, the black British teenager who was murdered in a racist attack in South East London in 1993, Doreen has campaigned tirelessly for racial equality and has been central to how we view racism in the UK. I don't cry in public. I fight in public. But make no mistake about it, I do cry. I need to say that because some people seem to think I honestly do not cry. People show their emotions in different ways, and I've learnt that people grieve in different ways. But I believe the different outward appearances of emotions belie the fact that we all feel the same emotions. It is only in children's drawings and silly emoticons that my granddaughter loves to send me that happiness is always portrayed with an upward turn of the mouth and sadness has tears streaming down your face. But the truth is, we can be happy when we are crying and grieving through clenched teeth and dry eyes. My eldest son, Stephen, died on the 22nd of April, 1993, murdered by a gang of racist thugs. He was 18 and a half. I had not long turned 40. I mentioned my age because sometimes, I could even say most of the time, I am aware that to many people I am ageless. I am ageless in the way that people in the public eye often are frozen in time by a single event when they come to public prominence. I am also ageless because people don't always see me as human. I am the black woman who fought against the racist system. To some, I am a hero who exposed the institutional racism that runs deep throughout our public institutions. To others, I am the angry black woman who fought the police and the justice system in order to bring my son's killers to justice. Occasionally, I am the black woman who carried the Union Jack in the 2012 London Olympics opening ceremony in a sign of multiculturalism. I went to a school the other day and the children had to draw pictures of important black people in history. My picture was there, eyes slightly too high up on my face and my lips just a little too red, but I recognised myself and underneath, written in neat, joined-up pencil, was a description of who I was. I try not to think about it too much, but when I do, it feels strange. It is hard to see myself through the eyes of others. I recognise the fact that I am a sign, a symbol of something greater than myself. My very public struggle to bring justice for Stephen may have been very personal for me, but I also realise it has become a struggle that represents every black person's struggle against racism. It is rare that I can go for a walk or visit a restaurant without somebody, usually a black person, coming up to me and saying, thank you. 
I normally just respond with a smile and say thank you back. What they are thanking me for is rarely fully articulated, but I know it is not for the fact that at least some of Stephen's killers have been brought to justice. After all, they never even knew Stephen. It is obviously for something far greater than both of us. I was told the other day by my granddaughter that I am what they call an avatar. She was at pains to explain to me that she didn't mean I was in a computer game or that I was one of the blue people in the movie. An avatar, she explained, is defined in Webster's Dictionary as an embodiment, as of a concept or philosophy, often in a person. I can't fight the fact of what I have become, but I can add to it. I am possibly one of the most formidable things society has ever created. And I say that in all modesty because I know I am not the only one. I am a black mother. I am a black mother who gave birth to three children, lost one, and loves my surviving daughter and son in ways I find difficult to express to them and have grandchildren who they think I spoil rotten. I am telling you about my love for my children and grandchildren because black mothers are not avatars. We cannot be reduced to symbols. We are not ageless. We go to work. We make our children's breakfasts. We pay our bills. We cry. We laugh. We get frustrated. We have our favourite movies and we are all too often trying to eat a little bit healthier because the doctor told us we are prone to high blood pressure. We are flesh and blood. I mentioned my age at the beginning because ideas and symbols do not age and I do not want to be reduced to a symbol. I do age. I am not the same person I was when Stephen died 28 years ago and I am definitely not the same person I was when he was born 47 years ago. I am human and I want my humanity and the humanity of all black mothers to be recognised. I gave birth to Stephen when I was only 21. I was a young mother. I took on the full power of the British state when I was 40. Once you know those two facts, it often brings back my humanity to people who see me as merely a symbol. I can reclaim my humanness. For everyone reading this who is in their 40s and older, can you imagine what it must have felt like to meet Nelson Mandela just a few weeks after your son has died? Hoping, aged 40, that meeting him might somehow bring attention to your situation and bring your son's killers to justice? Once you think about doing that yourself, think about how you would feel the night before, preparing for the meeting, how you would feel taking pictures with a world leader that most people dream of meeting. But I had to do it in the depth of my grief. I challenge anyone to think about these things and think of me as just a symbol. And I need you to remember my essential humanness and the essential humanness of all black mothers when you read the next few pages. Because in celebrating them, in celebrating us, I do not want to strip black mothers of the very part of them that makes them, or should that be us, so special. We achieve everything, not because we are superhuman. We achieve the things we achieve because we are human. Our strength does not come from not having any weaknesses. Our strength comes from overcoming them. When I first saw the video of George Floyd's death, I didn't watch it as a campaigner. My first thoughts were not to go to the streets and protest. When I saw the video, I watched it as a black mother who had lost her son at the age of 40 and still grieves for him daily. 
I saw a black man being brutalized, killed by a white person who never thought he would be held accountable for his actions. A policeman who, because of white privilege, thought he was above the law. Most people who have watched the video remember George Floyd saying that he could not breathe. The words, I can't breathe, were emblazoned on placards and T-shirts all over the summer of 2020. When I watched the video, I too saw a black man plead with his killer, telling him he couldn't breathe. But those were not the words that resonated with me, that struck me to my very core. As he was dying, I heard him call out for his mother. When I saw that video, it was impossible not to think of my son. Stephen's killers might not have been in uniform, but they too, because of their skin colour and the skin colour of my son, they thought they were above the law. And here is the strange thing I felt when I watched the video, the thing I am still grappling with. I felt jealousy. Although I'm not sure if jealousy is the right word. There is no video of my son's death, and I've always wanted to know, when Stephen was hurt, did he call out for me? Like George, did he call out for his mother? Lying on the ground, left to die? Who did he need there to comfort him? And nearly 30 years later, I still can't get it out of my head. I can't let go of the fact that if he did call out for me, I was not there for him. I was not able to protect him. I wasn't there. I wasn't there when he was crying. I wasn't there when he was in pain. And that's something I can't, I can't get over. I can't get it out of my head. That's possibly the worst aspect for me. This is not the pain of a symbol or the questions an avatar asks lying awake at night in their bed. These are not even the thoughts that a child's painting of a name a famous person for Black History Month provokes. These are the painful emotions, questions and thoughts of a very human black mother who still thinks about her son. But, not being there, I will never know the answers to any of these questions and my grief will persist. I would love to at least know his last words. I'm not sure if it would give me comfort, but it's something I'd like to know. We all know George Floyd is not the first black person to be killed by white police nor will he be the last. We all know that Stephen was not the first young black man murdered by racists, and he will not be the last. Like an itch that you know will not be cured by scratching it, but not being able to scratch it only makes it worse. So, while the cry goes out to remember the names of the murdered victims, with sporting stars like Naomi Osaka wearing their names on her face masks at the 2020 US Open, I want to add to that plea. Please do not forget their black mothers, because our pain is real and we must comfort the living just as much as we remember the dead. I do not think it was insignificant that George Floyd called out for his mother, Larsenia Floyd, who had actually died two years earlier. Black mothers are special and hold a special place in our communities. For every black death, I think about their mothers. Breonna Taylor, who was shot and killed by police, her mother's name is Tamika Palmer. Elijah McLean, who died in police custody, his mother's name is Shanine McLean. Ahmed Arbery, who was shot and killed when simply jogging, his mother's name is Wanda Cooper Jones. Trayvon Martin, whose death sparked the Black Lives Matter movement in 2012, his mother's name is Sabrina Fulton. 
and, along with George Floyd, I have simply mentioned the names on Naomi's face masks. I think about how, like me, these mothers, all with names, were not there to help them. I always think about the victims' mothers. That's the first thought that always comes to mind. I think about their pain. I think about the mothers who, like me, do not know what the final moments of their children's lives were like, haunted by the unknown. But I also think about the mothers whose children's deaths were caught on film, usually on a mobile phone or a police body camera, and are tortured by knowing what the last moments of their child's life were like. For those parents, some of whom I have already named, I can only imagine what it is like to go through watching that, seeing the events leading up to your child's death, knowing exactly how it will end, and then watching your son or daughter being killed in front of your eyes, possibly time and time again, not being able to stop the killer, not being able to protect your child, not being able to even comfort your child in their final moments. And every time a mother watches a video of her child being killed, she is watching her own impotence and complete lack of power being played out time and time again. And writing as someone whose son was killed on the 22nd of April 1993, I can say with confidence to all the mothers, the pain will never get any easier. The best I can describe it is like a permanent injury. If you lose both your legs, you do not learn how to walk again. You learn different ways to get from one place to another. But it is not as if over time your legs grow back and you find yourself walking. It is the same with losing your son. You find ways to get through the day with the pain and live with the grief, but it does not go away. The pain no more vanishes than legs can grow back if they are amputated. At the same time as recognising that the pain never disappears, what I can advise the black mothers to do is always talk about their children. Just talk about them. Bring your child back to life every day through words and actions. Bring them to life within you and within your family and within your communities. That is what I try to do with Stephen. In my bedroom is a painting of Stephen and his eyes always follow me. The painting is on the wall and every time I look at him, I see him looking back at me. When I'm in bed, I can see his eyes looking at me. On the other side of the room, I can see his eyes looking at me. So, he is always there. He's always there physically and in my heart. Stephen never leaves me, and I'm sure the mothers of all the murdered black people feel the same way. Their children will never leave them, and it is the living memory of your child who comforts you when you need that comfort. I saw the wounds that killed Stephen, although I never saw them being inflicted. And I recognise that being able to see that must be another level of pain. Those are images that will never leave those mothers. Those are memories that will never leave them and there's nothing they can do. There is nothing they can do except cry. Cry for them every day and bring them to life. Remember all the things you can about their lives from the time you gave birth to them to the time they were taken from you too soon. Remember and celebrate their whole lives not just the two-minute news clips that the world sees and remembers of their death. Their lives matter, and that should not be overshadowed by their deaths. People are constantly surprised by the things I remember about Stephen as a baby. 
I remember walking to Woolwich one day in south-east London and Stephen as a baby in his pram. As I was walking, I noticed another parent. Her child was a little older than Stephen and wasn't in a pram and was holding his mother's hand. The two of them were walking along the street and while the mother walked on the pavement, her child was walking along a slightly raised wall next to the pavement. As I caught up with the mother and child, I said to the other mother, I can't wait until Stephen can do that. And all she said to me was something like, the best time is when he's in his pram. I remember loving what people commonly called the terrible twos because he was growing and developing at such a fast pace and learning new things almost every day. I couldn't wait for him to be a wall walker like that other child. I remember every doctor's visit, every mundane checkup and every injection. I had Stephen when I was 21. I was a young mother. And as Stephen grew older, I remember people sometimes thinking I was his older sister rather than his mother. And I remember one time when he was a teenager walking in the rain with him and he had his arms in mine as we shared an umbrella. And as we walked, people gave us funny looks as they tried to figure out our relationship to one another. In many ways, these are all inconsequential memories bordering on the mundane. And if Stephen was alive today, I doubt I would share these memories with anyone. The fact of the matter is that I might not even remember them myself. But I share these memories. I tell you my age. I tell you that I think about Stephen every day to impress on you that I am human. Black mothers who lose their sons and daughters are human. Black Lives Matter is not just some kind of political slogan for us. My son's life mattered. And for every black life that is taken, you are destroying the life of a black mother. You are creating pain and anguish that can never be extinguished, only managed. We are not what we are portrayed on the news. I was very aware from early on how the media wanted to reduce me to a two-dimensional stereotype, in the same way they want to reduce the mothers of all the black people who have been killed, the grieving mother. The truth is, I'm as vulnerable as anybody. I don't find it difficult to cry. I can cry at the drop of a hat. If I am watching something on TV, it doesn't take a lot for tears to start flowing, whether that is a sad movie or my favourite contestant being voted off Great British Bake Off. But I never allow myself to cry in public. All through my struggles to bring Stephen's murderers to justice, through all the frustration of fighting against the entire UK establishment to expose the racism inherent in the system, through to the most personal and intrusive questions by reporters and journalists, I never cried. Refusing to cry in public did not start off as a deliberate policy, and I think crying is healthy for any grieving mother to do, and I am still not 100% sure why I have taken this position. I've thought about it, and I believe it is for a number of reasons. It is partly because I do not want to give any more of myself than I have already. I have already given the world my son. They do not deserve my tears as well. Those are for me and Stephen. But the other reason may be because deep down I still view tears as a sign of weakness, a sign of vulnerability. The killing of our children has already exposed how weak and vulnerable we can be as black people. Our weakness is on full display when George Floyd begs for his life and in his final breaths calls out for his mother. Our weakness is on full display every time a video goes viral of a police officer approaching a car of a black person and we know the outcome of the interaction is completely in the hands of the police officer 
and not in the power of the black person to decide. I do not need to add to those displays of weakness that the media loves to show. I may be a victim. I am a victim because I am a mother who has lost her son. But I am a fighter. I do have power. We encountered far more losses when fighting for justice for Stephen than we experienced victories. But I never allowed myself to be defeated. And most of all, I never wanted to appear defeated in front of either the people who wanted to see me give up or the people who were cheering me on. I am very conscious of the fact that by taking this position, people often think I am a hard-nosed person who not only doesn't show emotions, but doesn't even have emotions. Or, if they are kind, they say, Oh, you're so strong. And my answer to that is, Not really. Not really. But at the same time, I cannot be a symbol of weakness because black mothers are not weak. Which is why, for me, black mothers must be a sign of strength, because throughout history we have always been a sign of strength. Even when we lose, we are undefeated. Now, at this point, I expect some readers may be asking why I have been talking about mothers and not fathers or brothers or sisters or aunts or uncles. Because there is no denying we all feel pain. I focus on black mothers because I believe black women and black mothers in particular hold a special place in our communities and history. We carry the joys and burdens of motherhood, womanhood and our blackness. Make no mistake about it, it is not easy being a black mother. In 2020, statistics showed black women in the UK were four times more likely to die in pregnancy or childbirth. And that is a sign of things getting better? In 2019, a report showed we were five times at higher risk than the rest of the population. And raising black children in the UK is challenging, to say the least. Children of Caribbean heritage are twice as likely to be excluded from school as their white counterparts. In 2020, one out of every ten children of Caribbean heritage in a British school was excluded at some point. Our children are more likely to suffer unemployment and are more likely to fall foul of the criminal justice system. Is it any wonder that a 2017 report showed that black women in the UK, more than any other group, are more likely to have experienced a common mental health disorder? But despite the challenges, our bond to our children is unbreakable. I remember I went to Jamaica one year when Stephen was still quite young. My aunt asked if I would like to send the boys to her to look after them, to grow them up as they say in Jamaica. It was a kind and generous offer, but it didn't matter because as a mother I could not be parted from my children. There is in black mothers a feeling of responsibility that can transcend death. It creates a bond between a mother and child that can be unbreakable, ironically even when that bond can feel painful. Being a black mother is a gift that, if you are lucky, is bestowed on you but it is a gift that is impossible to understand before you receive it. Before being a mother, I was an aunt, a big cousin and an older sister. I looked after other people's children and loved them. But when you become a mother, there is a depth of love that cannot be expressed and only felt. Your child's pain is your pain. Their joy is your joy. And for me, an injustice against them is an injustice brought against you. Black mothering is a tireless, all-encompassing love and giving for your own children. 
In a time of social media, when likes seem to be more valuable than love, and individual achievement is celebrated and even deified, motherhood forces you to push against this. Motherhood forces you to realise that you are greater than yourself, whether you like it or not. The process of caring and fighting for someone other than yourself with the same amount of strength and love that you would for yourself immediately creates a fight for a wider community. It may start off as a fight for just one person, your child, or even just your immediate family, but it soon becomes a fight for your black community because it is a fight that is bigger than your immediate self. And it is a fight that you take on because you have no idea how you could live your life without taking it on. Before writing this piece, I wanted to make sure that this wasn't just my personal experience and that I was right to think this was a special feature of black mothers. And I was introduced to the infamous case of Emmett Till, the 14-year-old black boy who was murdered by racists in 1955 in America for allegedly just looking at a white woman. Emmett was far from the first black boy to be murdered for supposedly transgressing a racist set of rules and beliefs. But echoing the more recent killing of George Floyd, his death took on international significance because of technology. In the case of George Floyd, it is the ability for these recent examples of brutality against black people to be caught on mobile phones. In the case of Emmett Till, it was because his mutilated body was photographed in an open casket. Photographs of Emmett Till's brutalised body were seen around the world and so people could once and for all fully get a glimpse of the horrors inflicted on a black person that caused his death. They were photographs that in many ways were instrumental to the civil rights movement in the US, both in terms of galvanising black people and in creating white allies who seemed to finally understand what they were fighting for. It destroyed the argument and myth that America was a separate but equal society. While the story of Emmett Till is well known in America and throughout much of the black diaspora in the Caribbean and even Europe, what is less well known is that it was his mother, Mamie Elizabeth Till Mobley, who showed the fortitude, strength and wisdom to insist that his casket was open. She famously said, I wanted the world to see what they did to my baby. It was a black mother who went against the social norms of supposed decency and let the world see the pain. It was a supposed decency that protected racists and had previously pulled a veil over their crimes. It was the suffering of a black mother that was able to articulate the grievances and full grief of the black community. When I think of Emmett Till's mother, again, I do not merely think of a two-dimensional person whose only act in life was to decide to have an open casket when her son was murdered. I think of a woman who raised her son, who loved her son, who grieved for her son, and whose fight for justice for her son is inseparable from her fight for justice for her entire black community. And she refused to be reduced to a single moment. She refused to be reduced to just a grieving mother. She gave speeches all over the country, fighting for civil rights and against racism right up until 2000. Her greatness comes not because of one act, her greatness comes because of everything in her life. And the importance of mothers for pushing the boundaries of social change do not stop with Emmett Till's mother. In Mexico, Mother's Day has become a day of resistance, as mothers march annually to demand answers about the disappearance of their children who have gone missing, killed or abducted since the government declared a war on drugs. 
To my knowledge, there is no similar outpouring for any social activity and protest anywhere in the world centred around Father's Day. That is not by accident. And yet, despite our central role in defining and fighting for justice, black mothers and black women are all too often erased. While the power of the mother to have an open casket is one reason Emmett Till's death became such an important moment in black civil rights history, it is striking that we seem to remember the names of male victims before we remember the names of female victims. Similarly, the black male leaders in the struggle to achieve better racial justice are championed and remembered, while the mothers who have been central to the struggle are relegated to single acts of defiance or providing the emotional background. Men are the main protagonists. Women are the supporting cast. I primarily fought for justice for Stephen because Stephen didn't have his voice and there was no one else to speak up for him. There was no one else who could tell his story. I needed to be his voice. I knew there were many other black boys who had died before Stephen, and just the other day it came back to me that I vowed when he died that Stephen's name was never going to be a statistic. I was determined that everybody would remember him, not just as a victim, but as a human being who had dreams and ambitions, which is why I have also concentrated on the fact that he wanted to be an architect. I set up initiatives not to address knife crime. That should be the police's job if they are doing it well but to promote young black talent. But just as I have fought for my son not to be a single statistic or simply a victim, we must make sure our black mothers are recognised in the same way. We must remember their struggles and their fights, and we must remember that they too are not just two-dimensional figures and strip them of their humanity. We must champion them, because without us there would be no we. Black mothers matter.